0: This time on Watchers of Tomorrow. Remember when Star Trek had old people make up? Pepperidge Farm remembers.
1: Hello, everybody. I am welcome to watchers of tomorrow the sci-fi critique show that needs a better intro but we do too many weird things and go on tangents i'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host dr isix hi and this week we watched the let's make fun of old people episode of original series a tad yes uh, though i guess for
0: me it ended up being less awful than i was worried about but it's still kind of like uh really guys and a couple bits
1: yeah there's some weird ones in there it was mostly boring it was very very the, boring
0: yeah there's a lot of stuff that was kind of repeated but i i think some of that was you know i had some had some purpose behind it still it gets yeah a little, a little uh little drawn out
1: mm, i was nodding off during the middle of this one oh but i watch these late at night generally Anyway, I, I, we watched Star Trek Original Series episode The Deadly Years. How
0: deadly were they?
1: This was moderate. Let's see. Four, five. Five people died in this one, I guess. Yeah, the I, I remember there's there the
0: one lieutenant, there's the couple people on the planet, and the, the one they found that was already dead. Um, was there anybody else?
1: Well, they said there were, like, four people on the planet, and then one lieutenant dies later. Spoilers! (laughs) This episode was written by someone we haven't encountered before, named David P. Harmon, who is a decently well-known script writer, has one more uh, script for Star Trek coming up in Season 3.
0: Hmm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: Uh, I don't know. At least this one wasn't as bad as some, so we'll see. (laughs) In Season 3, he wrote an episode called "Piece of the Action,
0: which I have no idea about that one. So
1: Yeah. <laughs> apparently involves mobsters? Oh, the mobster episode? I don't think I've seen that one. That's probably one of the famous ones. I don't know if I've seen it, but I know of it. More,
0: more rapid time travel.
1: <laughs> no, I think it's a parallel Earth one. Oh, wow. <laughs> Another Earth? <laughs> they do, like, so many of those. And we haven't gotten <laughs> to them, so I guess they're all in season three. You got Nazi Earth, you got Roman Earth, you got Gangster Earth, you got Old West Earth.
0: (laughs) And then the uh, explosion wiped out the the, uh, three cowboy planets on a gangster world.
1: (laughs) Star Trek could do its own crisis on infinite Earths at this point. (laughs) Maybe it should. Not as many guest stars this episode, because most of the show is on the Enterprise itself. The notable ones are Charles Drake playing Commodore Stalker. He was just in several movies and shows around the same time period, mostly uh, character acting. He's
0: not someone I recognize for anything, but uh, he was apparently in uh, something called Harry O.?
1: Never heard of it. <laughs>
0: Neither their
1: Sarah Marshall plays Dr. Janet Wallace. She also appeared on many contemporary shows. The only ones that I had actually heard of are Perry Mason and an episode of The Twilight Zone.
0: You know, I wonder if I might like Perry Mason now that I'm older. <laughs>
1: yes, at what age do you begin to like Perry Mason?
0: <laughs> we should find out.
1: Should be an annual tradition. Watch it once a year and figure out when you like it. <laughs> Finally, we have Beverly Washburn playing Lieutenant Arian Gale- Galloway, Galloway, something along those lines. She's yes. not very important. She's just there to show us that things are serious. Yes,
0: uh, she is not a red shirt, but might as well be. Mm-hmm. Now, now I will, I, I will mention that there is a fellow, uh, one of the sort of minor uh, characters they run into. that uh, doesn't have many lines. Uh, who's uh, played by Felix Locker. Uh, who is apparently the oldest a- actor, like, as far as like when they're born, they would, uh, to ever be in Star Trek?
1: Oh, well, that's fun. And they got to play old people.
0: In the episode about old people.
1: Hmm. Saved them from doing another terrible old age makeup.
0: Yes. <laughs> it's like, let's actually get someone who is, like, of the appropriate age to play someone of the appropriate age, mm-hmm. at least, as they're supposed to. Yeah, he was born in 1882,
1: by the way. Ooh. For the 60s? Yeah, that's pretty. Uh... Yeah. That's <laughs> a pretty long career there. Uh, the old people makeup in this is not going to be mentioned very much, but it is horrible.
0: Generally, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's sort of kind of ridiculous how they change color throughout the episode, too.
1: Yes. Though, if there's one thing that I know about special effects makeup, it is that old age makeup is the most difficult makeup to do, like, hands down.
0: Because it's like, okay, we need to, like, sort of make more, uh, I guess, visible creases in the skin. But how do we do that without making them look chunky?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. You need to add a ton of creases, they need to make sense, and it's also a realistic-looking human face, which we have a lot of practice in spotting problems with.
0: So it does get a little uncanny valley.
1: This one, it looks like they mostly painted awkward black lines all over their faces. This might be another one of those problems with HD.
0: Yeah, maybe it looked better uh, back in the 60s when your, your TV was a little fuzzy.
1: Yeah, lots of things that worked fine back then... ...look like trash in Modern Resolution.
0: So, uh, we should probably we shouldn't make too much fun of it then.
1: Yeah, we will. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sometimes we don't follow our own advice,
1: folks. Uh, apologies. We have an hour of episode to fill every week. We're gonna have to make fun of makeup at some point. <laughs> Alright, we may as well jump in here so that we can talk about ageism and fun things. Yes. I open with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scotty, Chekov, and a very, very tiny lieutenant named Galloway beaming down to a small research colony for an annual inspection. Uh, We've sort of
0: seen something like this before a couple times.
1: There is no one there. The crew splits up to try to locate the colonists, and Chekhov goes into a very dark room when the lights automatically come on, revealing a very old-looking dead man. Chekhov understandably freaks out and runs away screaming.
0: He he's found the uh the the, the the I don't know the morgue.
1: Yes, I mean it's laid out. It's like an ancient tomb. Yeah, but I mean, with that, lights.
0: Yeah, it's it's basically just the table, the guy, and nothing else in there. It's kind of weird. Yes.
1: Four lights that just automatically turn on when you get next to this dead body. This is the only thing in the room. It's very overly dramatic for no reason. (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) McCoy examines the body, reporting that he did indeed die of old age, but according to Spock, none of the Connellanists were very old. Uh, How old were they? Uh, Like 40s, maybe? Well, just then, a very old couple show up. They are introduced as Robert and Elaine, both of whom report that they are in their late 20s. Oh, it's even worse than that. There's there's something amiss going on. Both of these people look to be somewhere around 80. Yes. In fact, one of them is the person we were just talking about, who's the oldest actor in the show. (laughs) Felix Fellow. They bring the pair to sickbay, where they try to question Robert about what happened, but he is not lucid and is basically unable to understand anything that they're trying to ask him about. Kirk leaves to join a briefing to work out what on earth is going on with the colony. Here we meet Commander Stalker, who really wants to get to a starbase, and this is his one and only character trait. Yes,
0: uh, uh Commodore, not Commander.
1: Ah, Commodore, yes. <laughs> and Dr. Wallace, who is an endocrinologist, but this does not really come up much. Uh, basically they needed an extra doctor the gist of the meeting is that the colonists are growing old faster than they should be and they have no idea why though maybe it has something to do with romulans because they are in fact next to the neutral zone
0: yes in fact i think they name dropped the name of the sector and uh that comes up like in star trek 2
1: i think oh i missed yeah, that like, yes, that's we're, fun yeah
0: we're, you know, we're near the neutral zone in this sector and oh god we're being attacked but by, by klingons what <laughs>
1: The crew leave, but Wallace stays because she is in fact Kirk's ex, and they want to go all kissy face at each other.
0: Wait, wait. we have another one of Kirk's exes just suddenly randomly on the Enterprise? How small is this universe?
1: (laughs) Or how many people has Kirk dated?
0: Hmm. These are both kind of concerning questions.
1: (laughs) But Kirk is called off to the bridge. There's a very awkward line in here where she, like, asks him... Why he never wondered why she got married after they broke up. It's like, you need a reason to move on with your life after ending a relationship.
0: But Of course, everyone's just so smitten with Kirk that they can never find love elsewhere. Don't Mm. you know that?
1: (laughs) Spock called Kirk to the bridge to tell him about how they don't know anything, but there was a comet that they're looking into.
0: Hmm. Some sort of, I don't know, Day of the comic situation here?
1: Yep. Yep. Also, Stalker still wants to go to his starbase.
0: Oh, I'll go to the starbase, panic. Okay, come on, let me, let me go, let me go. Let me, okay, just, just right over there, right?
1: Kirk leaves the bridge, but on his way out, he repeats an order which he gave earlier. Dun-dun-dun! Galway reports to sickbay with some minor hearing loss. McCoy basically dismisses her. Kirk and Spock. Kirk calls Spock from his quarters to tell him to look into the comet, even though he already did that earlier. Again.
0: And uh, I think this is about when he gets his first weird twinge of pain.
1: He reports to sickbay, where Robert has just died. Scotty calls up to ask if he can come to sickbay, which I thought was weird that they have to call and ask if they can come to the doctor. Okay.
0: Well, you know, McCoy can be busy. He does have some weird patients who are dying of old age for no reason. True. Yeah. yeah, he might be busy.
1: Kirk and McCoy both make fun of each other for looking a little bit grayer than usual, which they do. Nobody, like, they're, yeah. they're in their old age makeup, and everyone's still oblivious at this point.
0: Well, it's, it's, they they, they sort of stage it up uh, throughout the episode. And this is, it, it's as obvious that they're wearing makeup at this point, but it is not as ridiculous as it gets later. Yeah.
1: Kirk is there to have his shoulder pain looked at, but when McCoy scans him, he is very surprised to find that he has advanced arthritis. Oh no!
0: Have you been uh, aging up that particular arm, or are we going to scan the rest of you two? Scotty
1: enters, looking like the world's saddest basset hound.
0: Yes, and uh, his makeup job is already a few stages up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he has really, really just pure white hair. And he's very sad looking. But this is the only time we see him in the entire episode. So I guess they had to do something.
0: Well, they do have him sort of uh, at uh, a later part, uh, the, the hearing uh, situation there. Uh, but it's it's he's just sort of kind of there.
1: Yeah, just sitting around. So the basic gist is everyone who was on the away team is now exhibiting signs of advanced aging except Chekhov, who is fine. That's because he's secretly a member of the monkeys. <laughs> the monkeys never age. Exactly. Basically, they all have about a week to live. Also, for some reason, the cognitive decline is advancing faster than their normal physical aging.
0: This way, we can have them uh, exhibit the uh, you know late stages of uh, like dementia and things like that without having too much makeup.
1: But Spock's going to be fine for a bit longer because he is a longer-lived Vulcan.
0: So you know he can go well past hundred and not be too bad.
1: Wallace flirts with Kirk a bit more. He gets mad because she thinks it's a pity flirt. Mm-hmm. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's some
0: weird flirting throughout the episode between the two, and it's just. This is maybe the most like, what?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just what? dumb. There, the, it never even pans out to anything. They're just there.
0: I guess there might be some sort of motivation for having it but i'm not really saying
1: it kirk returns to the bridge but he is not doing well he's repeating orders forgetting things that he just did not remembering that the romulans broke inscription code 2 a few weeks ago and falling asleep in his chair
0: yes yeah this code 2 thing is actually
1: important we'll get to that later but good news spock knows that the comet is what spreads some weird radiation on the colony that is the cause of their advanced aging Oh, well, uh,
0: radiation? Is it uh, alpha radiation, beta radiation, gamma radiation, uh, something else? Uh, it's something
1: else. I don't know. Okay. Green. <laughs> it's green radiation. I imagined it is green, even though I don't think they ever said anything.
0: Yeah. Well, it could be peak energy.
1: I hear pink energy. Pink energy?
0: Yeah, I hear too much pink energy is dangerous.
1: Is that like the pink tax? What is
0: <laughs> I don't know. I was actually referencing uh, Power Rangers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> also, Stalker wants to go to a star base. Just in case you forgot. Yes.
0: He's now at least using the excuse that, like, yeah, we got more facilities over there. We might be
1: able to like save you guys' lives. But they have no reason to stay. They just keep going like, nope, we're going to stay here.
0: Yeah, it's like, we, we have our data on the thing that probably did
1: this, but we have to stay. Stonker pulls Spock aside in the hallway because Kirk is very, very obviously not fit to command the ship. And it is his duty to convene a hearing to determine if Kirk is in fact very, very obviously not fit to command the ship.
0: Yes, this is like something we could be able to do in like five minutes, guys. Kirk is really declining fast here, so.
1: Spock initially refuses because no particular reason, but mostly because their practice of having the entire command crew beam down for every away mission is biting them in the ass because now they don't have anyone left to take over.
0: Yeah, well, we do have this Commodore guy. He's technically able to be in charge, but there's there's maybe some issues with that.
1: Maybe. This is like the third time a Commodore has showed up and taken over, and <laughs> now we're supposed to think it's horrible for some reason. He doesn't even act like he's a superior officer.
0: And, yeah, you know, in fact, he's very, like, you know, this is your ship. I'm going to let you run things until you're not competent to do
1: such. We got a quick scene where Galway dies just to remind us that they're all going to die supposedly because main characters die on die on the show all the time. <laughs> but they for some reason like decided that she needed to be 10 years younger than Kirk. I mentioned it specifically. I guess because having a woman older than 20 on this ship is going to be gross or something. And <sighs> then she dies first because her metabolism's different.
0: So uh, she internalized the radiation faster, and uh, yeah.
1: There is an interminable courtroom scene to get Kirk removed, where they go over every single thing that we have already seen.
0: Yes, so it's uh, the part of the episode that's kind of not a flashback of the rest of the episode, but it is kind of.
1: Mm -hmm. It goes on just way too long. Yes. Is
0: this where you nod it off?
1: Yes, it definitely (laughs) is.
0: (laughs) Don't worry, some of the people there at the meeting are also nodding off, so...
1: They basically decide he is not in fit to command the ship anymore, but he gets old person crotchety about it and gets mad that they're giving it to Stalker. Yeah, Stalker takes over, orders that they go to his starbase finally, and to do so they're going to cut across the neutral zone to save time, apparently.
0: Wow, this is a terrible idea, but okay.
1: Yeah... He's supposed to not be a good commander because he's never had a field command, but this seems just next-level stupid.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) It's like, we Uh, need to get to the Starbase. Take the direct route. You mean by breaking our interstellar treaty? Yeah, sure.
0: So their lives is more important than the millions of lives that will uh, be taken if there is another massive
1: interstellar war. If Kirk could just let him get to his Starbase. This needs (laughs) to be a Starbase so bad.
0: Maybe the Commodore is secretly like some sort of transdimensional en- uh, entity, and there's something at that starbase it really needs to get to in order to survive. That's my headcanon now.
1: <laughs> Kirk is super angry about not being in command. He thinks Stalker's going to get them all killed. It's probably right. Yeah, he's upset and, uh, at Spock and Wallace for realizing that he wasn't fit to command. And uh, in fact, there's uh, you know an ex-
0: a good exchange around here somewhere that uh, uh, you know between Kirk and Spock uh, specifically. Where Kirk's just so outraged, like, I never want to see you again, sort of stuff. Like, you know, this is like some, some kind of like punch of the gut sort of interactions they're doing here.
1: Yeah, they break up briefly, though.
0: Yes. <laughs> They'll get over it for next episode.
1: Well, they all spend some time going over everything that happened to the planet to try to figure out why Chekhov is fine. And then they remembered that Chekhov got scared by a dead body. And when you're scared, your body fills with adrenaline. Also, adrenaline used to be used to treat radiation poisoning before they discovered their better future treatments. So maybe if they use adrenaline, they can stop aging.
0: We'll have to mix up some sort of special syrups to do this, and then everything will be fine, or we'll all die. We're not sure yet.
1: One of those. Meanwhile, Stalker is leading the ship to its doom, and they are surrounded by Romulans. Stalker alternates between not giving orders and wanting to surrender.
0: And it's like a lot of Romulans too, like, kind of like a whole fleet for some reason.
1: Yeah, well I guess they did just detect this enemy ship entering the neutral zone that is defined by treaty as a no-go zone. It's like,
0: obviously this is some sort of invasion, uh, alternatively the Romulans were actually, like, already hiding there and, like, preparing for an invasion of their own, and they're like, holy holy crap, it have cost, either way it's bad.
1: Kurt gets pretty agitated about how the ship is under attack, decides to take the first cure, even though it's possible it might kill him, but at this point it's like the third most likely thing to kill him in the next ten minutes, so why are they all so worried about it? Dramatic tension!
0: This is the most important thing that's going to get everyone killed at this moment. Now we're on the bridge, and that's a different thing that's going to get us all killed this exact moment. Oh no!
1: This is what happens when you layer too many ticking clocks on top of each other. We've seen this problem before in this series. <laughs> There's also a lot of really awkward sh- shots of Kirk's groin while he's being cured.
0: Yeah, it's, that's how you, uh, you, know, uh, you know, avoid having to see him uh, de-aging in, uh, in real time. You just look at his crotch
1: instead. Just keeps cutting from reaction shots of people to his crotch.
0: <laughs> is this what they're looking at? Are, is this what how they gauge how old he is?
1: Yeah, it's like a sundial. <laughs> <laughs> bravo <laughs> bravo bra- bra- get one <laughs> kirk now back to normal runs to the bridge and takes command uh he has ahura send a message to starfleet with code two from earlier yes that one the romulans broke See, now he knows what he's doing and remembers that. In the code, he announces that because they are surrounded and doomed, he is going to have to use the Corbomite device to blow up the ship, destroying everything in a 200,000 meter radius.
0: Corbomite, I think we've even seen this maneuver before.
1: The hmm. Romulans pick up the message and back off, giving the Enterprise room to get away. And then they fly to warp eight. Kirk chastises stalker for wanting to go to a starbase and mccoy shows up and lets them know that everyone is fine now there's an ending joke but it's not that good and it's hard to explain so the end
0: yeah. <laughs> the end <laughs> so that was the deadly years
1: yeah it was pretty uneventful and
0: i i think that the thing that i like most about it is that there was some good character interactions in between the kind of what-the-hell parts.
1: <laughs> Some. The most of it went on just so long. It was very S- drawn out.
0: Yeah, so it's it's sort of like a sprinkling of good stuff in a lot of like, eh.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> but one interesting thing, I had to look this up, because they went, adrenaline used to treat radiation poison. We go, that can't be real. But apparently the Russians were doing tests of adrenaline to treat radiation poisoning in the late 50s early 60s
0: no and so so wait wait, wait a moment are, are we sure it's not just that Chekhov is a Russian and that so that's why he was able to survive by adrenaline
1: I think that they <laughs> mentioned that at one point but <laughs> I mean it obviously didn't work very well there's no way to cure radiation poisoning but they tested this as well as a bunch of other stuff back in the 50s
0: so uh so maybe we should uh, talk a little bit about how you treat, treat uh, radiation and uh, radiation sickness and all that then.
1: Sure, by you know, dying. If you either get too much of it or you don't.
0: <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, that's it's it's kind of a if or sort of thing. And there is sort of the the in between bit where you just get horrible cancers later in life, uh but it's it's still effectively dying from it. Uh it just it takes longer. Um but uh you can you know, it really kind of comes down to Reducing uh, exposure, as opposed to treating the damage that's already been done. Uh, and so, if you're like been sprayed with like radioactive material, you want to get that stuff washed off you as uh, as, po- as quickly as possible. Uh, if you've been if you've like ingested something, uh, or have been breathing in uh, radioactive dust or something like that, there are depending on what is yeah you know, the the, uh, the the materials you're you're interacting with, there are uh, you know chemicals and things like that you can take. That will help flush them out of your system faster but you know it also kind of requires that to be you know at all relevant for the uh, sort of exposure you're dealing with here and uh and so you're you might be able to get through it okay you might be able to get through it okay for now or you're going to be dead pretty soon depending on the exposure and type of radiation involved so yeah there's it's sort of kind of not necessarily up to you how things turn out.
1: I was looking it up like I just stumbled on a like guide when I was looking up whether adrenaline actually did anything. And it's just basically the time, distance, blocking things. Be far away from as much radiation as possible.
0: Yes. Um, so uh, sort of some disclosure about my own background here is that um, for a summer number of years back, I actually worked at a uh, particle accelerator. Oh. Yes. Uh, and they had us uh, wear radiation badges and things like that and but these aren't the kind of radiation badges where they like change color or do something when you get some sort of like a uh, certain level of exposure it's more of a a we've already sort of tested your environment and unless there's some horrible accident uh the concern is more of your slow build up of radiation over over time as opposed to uh individual you know you, you know the the instantaneous you know uh you know input of radiation at any given moment and so this, you know, device will be used to sort of measure your long-term exposure and be able to sort of tell tell us, okay, we need to take you out of this environment because you're getting too much exposure, uh, yeah, you know, and then move you somewhere where there's you know less radiation exposure, and uh, and so it's not so it's very much a, a planning sort of stage as opposed to a reaction sort of stage, and really when you're dealing in an environment where that is a concern at all, having some forethought and long-term monitoring like that tends to be more useful than like, Oh, we have a badge that changes color. We need to get out of here sort of stuff. Because usually when that's the case, you know, if you're using a device of that sort of intention, it's probably already too late.
1: Yeah. This is the, you're going to die badge.
0: Yes. Um, you know, if it turns purple, you, uh, you aren't going to have kids. If it turns red, you're already dead. <laughs> but now, um, it it is you know you're completely right about you know things like blocking and distance and you know, all that fun stuff. Uh, the uh, particle accelerator I was uh, you know involved with there uh, had a a pretty intense beam overall, and uh, but the the direct beam itself is not something that you know necessarily was worried about uh, you know because it was you know uh, going a certain direction and that was not where we were standing. Uh, it's all about the the scattering and things like that, and uh, you know is there going to be some you know, impact of the beam at this location, is that going to uh you know, scatter and cause radiation coming at the uh, control center here or not? And uh there's plenty of tests to sort of try to make sure that wasn't the case.
1: So they went from one of those movie accelerators where it's a massive tube that you stand inside and you see all these weird purpley particles come fly towards your nano gun or whatever it is you're trying to empower with magic radiation juice.
0: Uh not like that at all. And uh in fact uh you know there was no uh sort of direct view into the uh, beam enclosure at all uh you know well, then how do you, you
1: know, know things are happening if you can't look at the invisible particles
0: magic crystals uh, i'm only half you know half ridiculous there with the, the term magic crystals actually uh <laughs> there's uh these uh scintillator crystals which uh absorb uh radiation and uh then emit uh visible light uh that's then detected by electronics uh, can give you some idea of uh, where your beam is going and uh, what location it is. Uh, there's also other detectors we're using, including the ones I was working on, on when I was there, uh, such as wire chambers, where you get, uh, you know, a the, the particle beam coming in is a charged particle beam. It's made out of protons. Uh, so if you, to say, have an electric field in an area, you could accelerate uh, certain particles to a certain direction, and they will, uh, you know, say... Uh, interact with, uh, you know, some sort of gas, causing secondary radiation, which is then also charged to then get accelerated further in certain directions, and you can pick up that by uh, collecting on, uh, uh, you know, conductive wires, and that feeds, in, uh, feeds into electronics. You're just measuring the uh, the current in that case, and so you're basically turning high energy particles into electric current, which you can then read out a detector, and that can tell you, depending on which wires it's hitting, where the particle beam is. Well,
1: that's fun. That's how you know. but did any of it magically make you age faster
0: nope (laughs) you're actually Uh, 10 years
1: old surprise (laughs) you know i I
0: think the uh most technically dangerous things uh that were going on in the environment there uh was the high voltage lines and the uh, uh 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 tent that was uh periodically filled with uh, pure nitrogen. So don't be in there when it's filled with pure nitrogen. Yeah. You know, you just suffocate. <laughs> well, that's
1: not too dangerous, apart from the not being able to breathe it.
0: Yes. You uh, could leave pretty easily, for instance, and uh, it was pretty leaky as well. So you, know, you could probably get out of there without too much trouble. <laughs> also, the you know, nitrogen was never turned on when the you know there was access allowed into the enclosure. Uh, so that was also part of the procedure. So it goes back to the whole planning thing. <laughs> you, you avoid danger by thinking ahead.
1: That's why all superhero genre things have very, very poor lab safety. (laughs) It's
0: either someone forgot something very important, or there's just so many random, you know, you know, uh, uh, convergent events that make all the safeguards and things like
1: that just kind of fall apart. Oh no, we didn't make a way to get out of the radiation chamber from the inside once the countdown started. Why? Whoops. (laughs) Why would you do that?
0: Because if the door is left open, it could irradiate the entire lab building. Well, why don't we just shut the door after we leave?
1: I don't know. <laughs> These people have never heard of fail-safes, but then we would not have superheroes. True. <laughs>
0: hmm.
1: Well, that's so the fun I'm... light part of the episode, is the radiation. Yes.
0: Radiation. <laughs> and this is a, without getting into the different types of radiation, too, and you know, the various uh, you know, effectiveness and dangerousness of all those. But that could be for
1: another time. Well now we get to talk about ageism.
0: Yep. Tell so, uh, you why know, you 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 kids these days and uh, uh, you know your fast cars and your your Pokemons and uh, we're gonna be uh, ridiculously angry about stuff.
1: Well this episode was a little bit surreal because having been born in the eighties, I have never encountered anyone in this show before they were in their sixties.
0: So it's sort of like this is trying to preview how they'll be when we know them.
1: So like now, everyone who was in this show is like in their seventies and eighties, and this show is like basically saying, "Oh, when they're old, they're gonna be all useless and senile."
0: And really, uh, really only Shatner's, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it is kind of telling that this is a very much a view that. You know, once people sort of hit or hurt certain age, they are they quote become useless in some fashion. And uh that's not really true. You know, people can have certain conditions that make them less able to do things, but they're not going to be like, Well, you've hit this point in your age, so you're you know gonna be you'd have to be discounted now. That's well, just ridiculous.
1: An interesting thing because the, the way that they demonstrate aging in the episode is basically just a collection of old people tropes they get Unnecessarily angry at little things, which they always do, so that's hard to tell, but more so. They get forgetful, they start repeating stuff. Like 90% of what they do with Kirk to demonstrate that he's not fit for command is he's getting forgetful. And I've actually, I was doing a little bit of research on this because I wanted to figure out about what time period this started. Because it's not normal in societies generally, Probably the Industrial revolution, no one's completely like like pinned it down because these cultural shifts happen slowly. Uh, but I did stumble on a very interesting study out of the uh, university or the Oregon State University that basically found that when we consider someone old, it is not because they are old, but it is because they are exhibiting behaviors that we associate with being old. Yeah, I can see that. So someone's actual age is completely immaterial. The things that we consider make someone old are the stereotypes that they were doing in this episode, being forgetful, having trouble getting around, not being able to understand things as much, including in this study they specifically mentioned, going to places with someone else because like they mentioned someone who brought their children into a doctor's appointment and that made the doctor assume that they didn't understand what was going on so they talked to the children instead of the actual patient so we don't so much have a thing with people aging as we do with people you know not being as independent as they once were which is a major problem we have currently with our overvaluing of independence and individualism and self-reliance you
0: know and when you are told your whole life that your value you know is attached to how able you are to do things on your own and you're no longer able to do that so much that can be kind of a massive uh punch the gut there's
1: this there's this weird thing that's actually become kind of a dismissive trope that People who are older will constantly say that in the olden days you used to respect your elders. And that's actually pretty true because it's not very common in even other cultures and in our culture even like a couple decades ago that we were so dismissive and hateful of the elderly. Uh, in fact before even like the 1950s it was very common to have multiple generations living in the same home the 50s kind of uh, developed this idea of the three to four person nuclear family and you'd take old people and move them off somewhere else
0: Either the old folks home or the uh, retirement community or you know, Florida in, in general
1: and you know, we've even kind of infected other cultures with this idea like there's there's goods and bads but in a lot of other cultures, it is kind of considered a child's duty, like the first child or second child. It depends on the on the culture. But one of the children will have kind of the duty to look after their parents as they age. But that's become incompatible with Western consumerist life that has you know spread everywhere. So it's becoming an issue for some people.
0: And, uh, you know, and some folks are also terrible caregivers, and uh, and and so it's there are instances where you know people try to do that and they're also incompetent at it and so it kind of like makes you kind of worried about what's going on over there
1: but there's this just a thing like they people used to be just a part of the community for their entire lives and i found this interesting thing when i was researching this because there's like two schools of thought that seem to be kind of swirling around with this is either old people are still useful and we're ignoring it because they have a lot of accumulated knowledge and life experience. Or the accumulated knowledge and life experience of older people is now useless because we invented Google.
0: I'm not sure I'd be 100% in either camp, honestly.
1: Well, I think you hit a very basic problem with this, which is a problem with a lot of our modern way of thinking, in which the basic assumption here is We need to figure out what old people are for, and then decide whether we need that anymore. And so instead of, you
0: know, just treating them as people first, and then if something else happens, cool, but if not, that's also all right.
1: Yeah, well, you run into a problem when you have to figure out what people are for. Because if people, if you can't determine what someone is for in a useful, productive sense... Then they are a surplus person and we don't like surplus people.
0: That surplus population, uh you know, Scrooge was talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Which I was reading about. That's very he uh he was in a fight with uh with someone who was having uh overpopulation views at the time, which is why that's in uh, Christmas Carol, that particular ah, line. Nice. <laughs> there was there was somebody who was a contemporary with Dickens who uh who said that he was talking about the surplus population and people that need to just die out to let modern industrial life move forward.
0: Uh, so in case anyone was ever uh, wondering if people having XPs of uh, people in their real lives and stories is a new thing or not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is like, this This sort of overpopulation idea is something that has been happening since the 17, 1800s. It was something that like, came about with industrialization, because mm-hmm. you know, you needed fewer people to make things, and then what do you do with all these fewer people? And you have the poor people who are the problem, you know, just it's, it's basically every bad overpopulation trope you've ever heard. That's why if someone tells you there's too many people on earth and that's the problem, you should get away from them quickly,
0: yeah. they are they've decided to jump on a series of assumptions that are just kind of generally ridiculous and hostile to any sort of working for a better society
1: yeah particular assumptions that haven't been questioned in a couple hundred years here
0: let's question some assumptions
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i had this uh, this is like sort of a background opinion i've had for a long time but i had this interesting idea while i was researching this today And just like, I don't understand why people are so dismissive of ageism, generally. Because, you know, while we should care about people, and I'd agree that we just need to treat all people as people and be nicer to each other, so all of this stuff matters, ageism is the one thing that's guaranteed to hit everyone. Yes. It doesn't matter how white, straight, and whatever you are. You're gonna get old.
0: And so this will eventually uh, hit you too.
1: I think the general assumption, especially in America, is by the time I am old, because I am a productive, successful member of society who deserves all these things, I'm going to be rich and therefore it will not be a problem.
0: I'm going to have uh, immortality or uh, at least a comfortable uh, you know senior years there.
1: Because this is one of those things, if you talk about something like ageism and the dismissing of the elderly, all anyone has to do is point to any old rich person and go, "Well, they're fine. Look at them." I have disproved your argument. I am clever.
0: So, so maybe I should, uh, you know, talk about uh, an an a elderly uh, rich person I ran into a number of years back, and their their last few years. And uh, you know, so my grandparents lived in a uh, you know a, a, a sort of retirement community for a little while, and eventually ended up at, a, at the uh, sort of uh, nursing home. Uh, for their you know the last couple of years and before they died, uh and but you know you know going to visit them you know the, the various couple of locations there I met ran into a lot of you know you know uh, random folks there, uh and um, you know including uh, you know just a couple of individuals that were very well off and they were very late in life and they were still basically suffering as much as everybody else there, uh you know they they were. You know, you know, especially in the, in the nursing home situation, which, yeah, you know, some of them are very good. Others are, at best, mediocre. Some of them are just terrible. This was one was kind of, just kind of mediocre. Uh, they, uh, you know, they were, you know, they were honestly kind of scared a lot of the time from the occasions I ran into them because they didn't know what was going on. They were feeling powerless. They were feeling that they were being put upon. And they're also... You know some of the interactions with the orderlies or whatever—I don't get the exact term for them. Uh, you know were honestly kind of unfortunate. The you know some of the folks that worked there were pretty good with what they were doing. Others were kind of jerks, and you know, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. You 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 work with the the older folks here day in and day out, and you maybe as a person it's kind of worn on you, and you've kind of taken on a more confrontational. Uh, Uh, view of your interactions here. And it doesn't matter if this person is rich, poor, or whatever, there's still someone that you are here to uh, uh, effectively from your view wrangle in order to get them to do whatever you're here to make them do. And the the interactions there were kind of unfortunate. And it's sort of, it's it's a lot of this sort of stuff uh, left impressions on me uh, that, wow, how we treat old people kind of sucks.
1: Well, if you and, yeah. treat anyone as a burden, it is going to become a problem. I'm not going to actually say it, but I was a while ago. I read this thing that a very common slur that we use for uh, gay people right now actually originally referred to the elderly. It was an old slang term for a bundle of sticks and it was originally used for the elderly as a person who is ungainly and hard to get around like a large bundle of sticks
0: that's that's a weird sort of uh, etymology there huh?
1: mm-hmm. now there's a, like it's interesting when you mention something like a nursing home because we moved a lot of people to elder care facilities is the general the euphemism and there was supposed to be this this idea of you know they shouldn't be burden on their families because you know working american man shouldn't have to take care of old people how horrible so we can use the wonders of modern capitalism and just make a place where you can pay to have your relatives looked after uh nursing homes are like there's some that are fine but even the best of them are very weirdly made and anyone who's been in kind of modern nursing home like i remember my grandmother lived in one briefly uh, she moved around a lot. She didn't stay in that one very long, but for a little while she was living in one that basically looked kind of like a large sort of fancy hotel. And there was this this research done a bit ago that this, this common trope of older people being easily confused and lost and, you know, not doing very well mentally uh, can actually be at least somewhat blamed on the environments in which we make them live because having been in some of those nursing facilities and elder care places everything looks the same and even i as a younger kid visiting my grandmother could never figure out where her room was because every floor door and hallway looked identical
0: there's, there's, there's no character to it there's no variance it is you know it's like a standard room format repeated you know over and over again. And the only real difference is who happens to be in the rooms, at the time, and what things they might have there with them. And usually, that wasn't much.
1: Yeah. So this idea that an old person like can't even find their way back to their room—well, of course they can't, because you can't either. Yes. Because we removed all distinguishing characteristics from the environment in which they live, which so is also detrimental to someone's mental health.
0: So you're you're in a environment that's hostile to your mental health. You're your, not useful for your your current faculties
1: so what do you expect to happen you know it's the same thing that we've talked about a lot like the environment in which we put people forces a certain way of thinking on them maybe is degradating to their lives but then we use that as an excuse for why we put them in particularly bad situations it's kind of a jerk move on our part There's quite a few things like that. Like even in in this episode, uh, I was discussing this a little while ago, the hearing loss that they associated with it. Like it's it's one of the running things in this. They they have hearing loss. Kirk has to repeat himself to the colonists a couple of times. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's not something that just randomly happens because you got older. If you're older and you have hearing loss, it's because you have several decades of accumulated hearing damage from loud noises
0: so you know if you work in an environment that you know has a lot of machinery or you go to a lot of rock concerts you're gonna get this sort of thing
1: yeah it just happens and it can happen at any any kind of age but it's not something that's just going to happen because you get older it's not like your ears just wear out Mm -hmm. and even the mental decline it's been shown that a large portion of what we think of as inevitable mental decline in the elderly is just not having things to do. If you continue doing stuff, if you stay active and keep thinking about things and talking to people and doing things with your mind, you don't have the same type of mental decline. Not to say that there aren't certain diseases and things that do tend to hit the elderly at a higher rate, but in general it's something that doesn't have to happen it happens because we force a certain way of living on people
0: exactly uh this is uh you know another story about you know you know visiting the grandparents things like that uh my uh, grandfather on uh, my mom's side uh you know until very late when alzheimer's actually started you know popping up on him uh you know kept his his, his mind actually very very clear very sharp by making sure to every single day do the uh, like the like the advanced crossword puzzle? I think the New York Times or maybe another paper. Um, you know, and, and and to complete it every single day, and to do that in pen. So, <laughs> so it's not going to be oh I, I messed up here I'm going to erase and, and do it again. He's going to make sure he's one hundred percent correct about every single answer. And that actually did him a whole lot of good, you know, over those years. Uh, and it wasn't until you know the disease uh, struck that he started uh, to uh, be able to operate on uh, all uh, the cylinders there. And even then, he was still very smart. He just was not necessarily the most coherent anymore.
1: Oh, so when we when we decide to like be mean and dismissive of elderly people because of how they are, we need to keep in mind the environment in which our society makes them live. Though interestingly, I was—I did see a study some time ago. It's just one study, but they were saying that crosswords probably aren't actually the best for doing mentally taxing activities because it's just a list of words you already know and you should be doing something like Sudoku that makes you think logically.
0: True, true. Um, that, that, that's one of my, my things I do. <laughs> but uh, uh, he... Preferred the crossword because uh, he used to uh, work at a, a newspaper, ah. and uh, and uh, so it's sort of something that he got into way back then, and so you know maybe there was sort of a, a connection to you know he, you know you know the decades and decades ago that let him sort of it's like oh yeah this is something I this is a, a clue that I've seen before for instance, and so I'm going to you know use that as an excuse to maybe think about other things, but I don't know what was going on inside his head, so mm. I can't can't <laughs> define all that, but. Uh,
1: I've never so, understood crosswords with the dyslexia. They do not mix very well. A little more tricksy for you. Yeah, I'm a picked-across kind of guy. I
0: don't know what that is.
1: It's, uh, you draw a picture in a grid based on them giving you the number of pixels and what order they appear in each line. I think it's a newer thing because it's mostly on, uh, mostly on computers.
0: Well, Sadoku's also where I do my, you know, he's also on computers when I do it. So. <laughs> anyway...
1: Well, I think we could continue talking a little bit, but I'm just basically going to be reiterating the same points over and over at this point.
0: We need to be like kinder to our older folks and also to not put them into such terrible situations.
1: It's been the same for basically every time we've had to talk about something like this in this show. We put people in... Horrible situations where we don't give them the opportunities to live well and then use the fact that they're not living well as the excuse for why we put them in horrible situations. So we should stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Also, see, when when I was thinking about what to talk about with this, my mind immediately went to all the standard anti-ageism tropes. Just, you know, people have accumulated experience that you can learn from and they have... It, not even just historical experience, but mental experience and emotional experience and things that like, you know, they have a wealth of knowledge that you can draw on. And then I realized that all that is doing, and the only thing those arguments reinforce, is that you need to have a use for someone in order to treat them well.
0: Yeah, and if yeah, you and know, the moment that use is no longer possible because they're getting to the point in their lives where they're not able to communicate very effectively anymore then suddenly this argument no longer applies, and then you're back to square one again.
1: Yes, if you come up with a definition that you need for someone to be useful, inevitably it's going to fail, and then you have a useless person on your hands.
0: And what happens after that is potentially awful, so...
1: Yes. People don't need to have uses. People just exist. B to B.
0: Anyway, I don't got anything else most. So.
1: <laughs> yep, I think that it might be time for the Galaxy's favorite game show. <laughs> Woo!
0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Show portion of the show, where we tallied up the various points everyone uh, decided to collect up and uh, score for us, and we got some winners for ya. And no, none of these uh, awards are about ageism least I don't think so. But anyway, the first one is the TV Love Story Award, which goes to Kirk and Dr. Wallace, because this is just too sappy and melodramatic. It just it just kinda hurts. What do they win,
1: Gepwin? Kirk and Dr. Wallace win a resort vacation wedding thing because it's basically the most appropriate romance we've seen so far. Like it's it's dull, but that's because it's not cringy.
0: Dull? Not yeah, 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 less cringe, but you know, also not not super useful, <laughs> but oh well. At least it was better than usual. So, our uh, our second award is the incompetent guest star award, which goes to Commodore Stalker for almost getting everyone killed by flying right into the neutral zone. What does he win,
1: Gepwin? Commodore Stalker gets discharged. Like this is a level of ineptitude that is unacceptable. Like I know they kept the entire episode going, he's a pencil pusher who can't really command, but this is just way beyond what anyone in any military organization should be doing.
0: And uh, isn't he also supposed to be, like, in charge of this sector or something like that?
1: Yes. He
0: outranks Kirk. Yes. So, yeah, I think this one's well-deserved. Our final award is the Vorlons in Hyperspace, which also goes to uh, Commodore Stalker for kind of just stumbling to a bunch of Romulans. What does he win, Gepwin? He wins the Carbonite Award for stumbling upward and uh, is, is he going to explode uh, at least pretend he's going to be
1: yes the carbonite metal will explode irradiating everything within a ten thousand mile radius for four years
0: yeah so we better watch out for that everybody for serious for reals ho. that's i think it all the uh, the words i got for you gepwin and uh it plays out
1: uh, So i hope that all of our contestants enjoyed being in one of the most Boring, uneventful shows so far. <laughs> Woot for them! Ho Thank you all for joining us on the galaxy's favorite game show.
0: Well, I think this this week I've been more coherent than last week, so that's good. <laughs>
1: Well, next week, we are on to lucky number 13, 13th episode of season two.
0: I hear it's called Obsession.
1: It is. It's, it's just a fragrance.
0: You're my obsession. <laughs> it's
1: just it's like one of those cologne commercials. Obsession
0: by Kirk. Which I guess is appropriate since it involves a, a some sort of cloud.
1: Yeah, let's see here. I don't remember this one. Uh, Kirk becomes obsessed with destroying a deadly entity he once encountered in his youth. Oh, we're Ahabbing again. That's fun. Again.
0: Yes, again. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess, you know, ships in space, Ahabs are going to happen.
1: This is you know. this is what people mean by there's only so many basic plots, right? That unimaginative TV writers don't bother to use more than five plots.
0: Yeah. The... There are more plots out there. They just require a little bit more thought.
1: <laughs> I mean, I suppose I can't blame them when they're trying to make a show once a week. <laughs> they
0: they do have you know some schedules to keep and you know.
1: And miles to go before they sleep.
0: Yes. <laughs> the the uh, you know, you know, there might only be fifty minutes of television, but there is a lot of work that has to go into uh, production, even of the 60s standards. So.
1: Oh, all right. I don't know much about this one. So sounds like they're fighting another gas monster happens yeah, as you do mm-hmm. right, i suppose we'll find out more about that next week when you can join us here on watchers of tomorrow next time on watchers of tomorrow
0: kirk versus vaping you have been listening to watchers of tomorrow a podcast on science fiction media Find and follow Watches of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocketcast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Izzix, on youtube.com slash Dr. and Twitter at IzzixLP. Music is Waveform and Morris Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, Please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter that you that is now no longer exists.